Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Welcome uh, to the segment on CTN, folks. Uh, to learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today is adopting digital labor. And our guest is Jeff Hummel, who is the CTO with Douglas Elliman Real Estate. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Good morning. I'm great. Great. Great to have you. And, uh, you know, the topic we picked up today might be Star Trek for some, but frankly, it is here for us to use and to be vowed about and or uh, be challenged by, because you're talking about intelligent software robots, machine learning, AI, all that coming together and robotic process automation is being looked at and are in some cases already been deployed to replace knowledge workers uh, with a promise to lower cost and increase productivity and even do some things better than humans can do. So one is to look at it as if it was in the labs, but frankly, it is in, in the mode of commercialization and organization, some of them have already adopted it, or they are looking at how to adopt it so that they're able to get the most value without jeopardizing the interest of the very humans it is supposed to support, as, as well as the ethics. So we wanted to touch on these topics. So that said, Jeff, if you're looking at these specialized skills we wanted to, uh, like these people who we have as specialized skills, we wanted to have machines replace. And then on one hand, you are trying to do that. On the other hand, the speed at which digital, this whole digital era, the faster future ahead we talk about is moving. The humans are trying to play catch up. So, and then even the roles that they're going to play is, is unclear. So are we going to have humans twiddling their thumbs where machine take over or not have humans be able to del- you know, deliver to what the business wants? Where are we? So, you know, I think there's specialized industries or in, uh, certain industries that we have to think about in terms of where digital labor makes sense. And somewhere it, it's going to uh, be on the scale of enhancing what's going on. And then we have that things that it's just not going to be able to do, that humans need that emotional touch. So right now I'm in the real estate industry, which, you know, there's a number of companies, startups and, and however, that are trying to use artificial intelligence and digital labor in a, in a general sense to replace the agent, right? And it's, and it's whether it's turning real estate into a shopping cart experience or it's turning real estate into um, having this, this wealth of knowledge. And, and the, the, the problem we have in this industry with that is that buying and selling real estate is an emotional process. It's, it's highly emotional for, for, for most, if not all, people. Um, it's very rare that it's a it's a non-emotional shopping cart like experience for somebody in in their in their head in their human brain. So we at at Douglas Elliman here have have taken the stance of we're here to enhance the agent experience in order to prepare them to do more and actually have real lives. So they can interact with their customers. They can have data to help them in the in the process and the transactional process as well as the sales side of the process, and then give them more time to actually have real, real lives and, and, and interact with their families and so on and so forth. So I think that, there's an, there's a, a, that that is where it falls into the enhancement aspect, and I think real estate's a really good part of that. I think that the hospitality industries um, are starting to look, in that, uh, look at, at digital labor as a way to en- enhance that experience, but it's still a highly high-touch human uh, experience. And then some places are adopting it and making it um, a way for, uh, to, to eliminate the human element, but they're finding very quickly that uh, when they do that, they lose that human touch and, they, and they've created another problem for themselves. And you know, if you want to talk about that for a little bit, there's, there's definitely some experiences I've had where companies have kind of shifted back a little bit where they, they've gone you know, wholly into, uh, you know, retail stores have gone into an automated checkout experience and then have pulled back from that because they're seeing where the customers don't make necessarily um, purchases that they would if they were interacting with another human being. 
So, I mean, definitely people may have experimented and would love to get some more uh, insights so as to your experiences as things were tried or experiments were done, what worked and what did not work. The question does come is, are we clear on what the customer wanted or are we trying to do this innovation inside out and saying, okay, let us push the boundaries, let us try to go the productivity route versus the customer experience route, and then we fall flat on our face because we did not connect in the first place with the customer who we wanted to serve. How are we even approaching this? Yeah, and I, and I think that's been a, a problem with IT over, over the past you know, so many years is that we lose that, that element of aligning with the business. So we've, we've adopted agile, we've adopted digital to, to do more things, but we've, in, in some cases, have removed ourselves from what actually we're trying to accomplish. And, you know, you go off in a, in a vacuum and, and create these things and then realize that they're, they're not going to work. And, it, and in a test and learn environment, that's really great. But when you're dealing with, um, a, you know, a, a lot of economic pressure and, and, and a sales cycle and things that the test and learn approach can, can be devastating to some. So, you know, you really have to look at this as take those human elements and, and find which ones that you need to, be, to make those humans or replace those humans with more efficient processes and then use those people in a way that makes them valuable to the company that will continuously enhance those processes over time. Um, it is in terms of how we think about that, it's, it's how do you get an IT department to align or build those processes out that actually make sense to those, um, the, the people that, that are being replaced by this new uh, you know, artificial intelligence. And and see the the fact that artificial intelligence is essentially the best use case, if you will, would be where it can churn data more than we can. Where are the specific use cases where um, people are thinking that yes, we might be thinking we need a human touch, but then we could forego that for the efficiency or what I call as a creative uh, ideation process, real time. So emotions, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say real estate is the prime example of that. You have a, a, a human interaction, and you have uh, a workforce uh, or a sales force that has been um, very data-centric, but they're, it's a hodgepodge of ways that they've accessed all this data. And if you give them the ability to do more uh, virtual digital mining of the data, to, to help them, whether it's doing comparables. And, it, and it's all about time, right? It's, it's the age-old, if, if, if these things were quicker, quick, more quick, if you could access them more quickly and more data was ready, readily available, you save them time in the process. With, they're saving their clients time in that process. So their clients get to make more uh, you know, faster decisions. They get to make more informed decisions. And when there's questions that come up, because, again, it's a highly emotional process with real estate, you, you are able to adjust and be flexible more quickly to what a client is really looking for. So, you know, you, having those insights and now with the ability of artificial intelligence going as far as seeing, like, what the consumer is doing beyond talking to the agent. So if you share with them a number of properties and say, look, I think this is what you're looking for, and then you can see some of the edge cases of other things they're looking for because you can, you can have them use a system that you manage from a how do they access these things and what are they looking for. You can then hone in on really the, um, really the holy grail of what they're, what they're trying to do and what they're trying to accomplish. And that makes that process go that much smoother. Um, on, the, on the transactional side, having that data, whether it's, you know, they're, their financial data and everything in order to make a smooth transaction, you can then make that transactional process much less painless uh, for that consumer as well. And and see, when you when you do talk about data, but then it also comes down to how the experience is created, where the actions are taken, and what is done and spoken on or written to who is what creates the eventual experience. So one is the data, which is more like the readiness or the foundation building effort. But then another is to 
implement that in a fashion where someone at the right time gets to see the right data and is trained to react in a certain manner, which could be a robot or a human. Because that's what we're talking here. So we're, are we're all pieces that. connected by AI or, or digital labor? I'm sorry, can you repeat that last question? Is that, is that, is that all controlled and or being programmed or is there a human intervention? Because digital labor by design means you are trying to make this automated from soup to nuts. Yeah, and I, th- and I think it's not soup to nuts. I think it's soup to, to, to something else where, again, it's, it's the enhancement of that because you cannot, again, and I'll use real estate as my example, you cannot have those final elements done solely by digital labor. You're going to have to have that, that, that human involvement to, to validate and verify, but also to empathize with that, that the end user. And it can help, again, if we, if we go back to the, the old days of, of people using contact books and, and uh, ledgers and things, you know, they, they use those things to stay organized. With the influx of so much data, they can't use those things anymore. So they use digital counterparts to do that. And now they're taking that and saying, okay, it's going to help me stay in touch. It's going to help me ensure that those people remember who I am. So, for instance, if we use an example of some of the more advanced CRMs that use artificial intelligence and use data mining and aggregation, instead of an a person or a real estate agent having a, uh, a contact book uh, or a spreadsheet, God forbid, you would have the, um, the ability for them to have this, this virtual assistant say, hey, Jeff, you usually talk to you know, Joe Smith every two weeks and you ping them and you've sold this, these properties to them. Here's an email that you should send them and it pre-writes the email and everything. But the human still has to make sure that it doesn't that it, that it makes sense for that relationship and can then send that email. So you've taken away again a lot of time and energy from that from that person to be able to focus on you know their day to day or other things, but then keep in contact with that that human element for the uh, for the lifetime of that of having that client because it's again a lot of people in the in the real estate industry it's a sometimes it's only a one and done but the the point of maturing that relationship is having it happen multiple times over the life of that customer when it could be you know not many people move all that often but but keeping that client and, and ensuring you you stay in touch with them that's the digital labor i see that will continue to play a, a huge part in uh in this revolution So let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And while, of course, we'll continue talking about how digital labor can be adopted in an enterprise, but we should look at the very people who we are looking to displace using it. Now, there has been uh, a claim, if you will, that we have had more unfilled jobs than ever, but then that truly doesn't mean that there is a growth in industry and economy. It could very well be talking about that we are creating roles which people are unable to fulfill because they don't have the training. And then on top of it, we are trying to introduce this digital labor, which will result in displacing more people. So is this being looked in isolation as a technology, as an opportunity to make more money by corporations, or is there supposed to be a more holistic approach to adopting digital labor so that the very humans it is supposed to support, it's able to do it in a balanced fashion? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore what solutions are possible. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management and Document Sharing Solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. 
Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Jeff, we cannot be uh, more concerned about the situation where we are having unfilled jobs because people don't have skills, and then they're going to lose jobs due to many, many other factors, and now we are introducing this digital labor. Is 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 there any solution in sight, or are are corporations looking at profit motivation solely, or is there not? I'd not call it as an altruistic, but at least a more balanced approach, so that we are also keeping humans busy and be utilized in the right fashion, and also have them live their life with certainty. Yeah, it's it's it, companies are seeing that, and I and I think um, you know we we had talked previously about a. The shortage of the of the IT worker, and that they're seeing where they can replace some other types of workers um, with digital labor, and then but but you still have this problem where you have the IT shortage, and and the and the people that actually have worked in those jobs or or been in those jobs can, need to influence IT. So, I work with a, a nonprofit um, called Tech Impact that actually has multiple programs about taking. Um, non-IT skilled workers and then putting them through either a coding school or a uh, infrastructure uh, certification program and getting them IT jobs to help fill that gap. And they do it in, um, they have a, a school in Las Vegas called Punch Code and they have um, other programs where they take uh, people off um, uh, or offer it to people that have, you know, I would say an average uh, salary of let's say $40,000 a year and they send them through an eight to twelve week program, and they come out at an average of let's say between seventy and eighty thousand dollars a year. And those people are now more skilled for the digital workforce that we need and have a huge gap for. So there's companies that are looking at this. And when I uh, previous uh, my previous employer um, actually invested in that, so that we then had more digital ready workers that that would help supplement. Um, either the jobs that were that were taken over by digital labor, or they applied those skills to actually enhance the digital labor because they already had the office skills or the soft skills that were needed. So I think that that's becoming a lot more prevalent. You're seeing more of these like coding schools pop up and and specialized schools that that can help the dig, you know enhance that digital labor. Um, and it's been, I think, a, 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 a true statement of companies starting to recognize that it's not just about the profit, but it's about how do they continue to expand their workforce given that this revolution is occurring. So uh, given we will be touching human lives for sure, but it also means that the workflows and processes and how do you optimize things at different levels, they all, they all have to be rethought. Because if you're going to move something fast, the checks and balances which earlier used to be done by humans, you're going to replace that with digital labor. Some things which may be going through number of hoops, you might be cutting through them. That means something what's happening on the ground will also have to change. How are we looking at that change? How are we approaching this whole what I call as a business process reengineering or the business reengineering, if you will, because of the introduction of, or a potential of introduction of digital labor? 
Yeah, so I think uh, regulations can become very, very prevalent in that area because if you take it away from the human, but you still have, let's say, customer interaction or you have um, some type of other, other interaction at a, at a higher level because all of the um, other processes are built into automated workflows and, and you know, there's, there's data that's applied to make those decisions, is that you're going to need to, you still need checks and balances to make sure that the sanctity of the transactions are still there. And I think that from an um, uh, information security area, that's a, another workforce that's, that's popping up and, and applies artificial intelligence and digital labor to, to what it's doing, you're able to make those correlations faster, but at the same time, you still want them to be sound. So I think that there's uh, an, an opening there in terms of people, um, or I'm sorry, um, the ability for companies to, to shift again to be able to ensure that when you know a transaction occurs that they can they can say from the the beginning of that process to the end of that process that the the sanctity is there and that's going to be very key in the future especially if you're again you're dealing with consumers or you're dealing with clients or you're dealing you know company to company um, it's going to be very very important to make to make sure that that's uh, that's whole so you did mention about regulatory. So understood that there's a mandate, so you got to take care of the interests of all parties concerned. Now, when we talk about the business, so so imagine you are in the four walls of business or even working with your partners and you're trying to shift from a completely human orientation to maybe partial digital to completely digital labor oriented. Means the business, that business unit, the interaction among the different business units and or partners, all of that has to be fundamentally rethought. So are people saying that after some time, uh, or, or let me take a step back. So, so when people are thinking through this so-called business process change, is that being uh, looked at with almost no intervention of humans going forward? Because I'm sure they are expecting that there will be evolution where literally humans may not be required. Because anytime when you put humans in a digital labor context, you are essentially creating inefficiency. So how far out are you thinking? And, be, and, and, and w because that's going to impact what do you do to your process, which you're going to apply digital labor to? Yeah, and I, and I think if you, if you look at when the Industrial Revolution occurred and you bring that to the forefront of the technology we have today, you saw that humans were still needed to do quality control in some processes that just weren't able to be enhanced by the digital workforce or completely taken over. So I, I think as you, as you build a roadmap out and the way technology advances, you're always going to need that human component in order to adjust the way that digital uh, labor. Now, I think what we'll see is that within the four walls of business, as you said, you're going to see a workforce shrink because of that, but I believe it'll level set at some point. Now, it's not a whole 100% level set, but it'll level set at some point to continue to enhance and, and uh, evolve what you're doing. Um, you can't, it's, it's not that you're going to walk into an office of, uh, you know, empty desks. I think that there's still going to be that, that, uh, that, that, that human component, especially since Human beings are very complex uh, creatures that uh, that shift and change their dynamic. Um, you know, you can build the artificial intelligence to predict that, but you still need somebody to be able to um, make sure that that is kept on top of or or uh, uh, enhanced in some way. And when you introduce digital labor, how does the performance metrics change for all involved? Even if you're saying a unit of work is going to be replacing humans and it's going to be done by a bot, you still have to have some metrics. And then now the humans who are being displaced are being put somewhere else, they would have a different type of performance metrics. So has, be, has some thought been put into it, or we are just in the flux, and we will deal with it after the displacement is done? No, I think some people are preparing for that displacement and looking at their KPIs and, and different metrics to say, okay, now that the, the, the bots or the, the automation occurs, there's a higher throughput of things that can happen. Um, the, on the human side of it, yes, there's ways to then measure them a little bit differently. But I think that um, it's not, I think, I think some people are looking to prepare for that now because 
they're seeing everything from a simple workflow all the way through to um, uh, gaining new insights, that that's where they're seeing how to shift, is that they're seeing new ways to look at that data or new ways for the humans to interact with that data in order to be more productive or garner more sales or, or what have you. When you when you look at the the the, the value that is being brought by digital labor, that is in terms of almost automation or maybe some intelligence that's built in. But then what where humans excelled was when an anomaly occurred and you stop what you were doing, take a step back, look at things and change. Are we expecting this digital labor to get to that point of sophistication where it is actually able to rewire itself or rewire the process or stop before there's a cascading uh, damage, if you will? Yeah, and I, and I think what, what brings to mind it, from the last question into this question is the fact of um, seeing different types of uh, areas or industries change based on the automation that they created. And the most relevant example to me is when I went to Home Depot. Um, a couple of years ago, Home Depot decided to put in automated checkout lanes where people can just go up and check out on their own, and they reduced the amount of cashiers that were there handling customers directly. So instead of having eight lanes of cashiers, they now have four lanes of automated uh, self-checkout kiosks, and then you know, they reduced it down to two cashiers. So it was saving them on, on labor, and it was putting, letting people check out on their own. But the problem became is that Home Depot, I mean, is a, is a, is a big warehouse of, uh, of you know, do-it-yourself uh, building materials, is that uh, it was twofold. One is that there wasn't enough staff to handle customer questions, and the second part was the fact that some people needed to go through the self-checkout line, and they were like, oh, I've got mismatched lumber here, and you know, it's, it, it, was, it was hard to decipher for the self-checkout. So you needed, they would see these backups start occurring. And, and then you saw them start to shift back over the past couple of years where they had more cashiers and more people there, but they armed them with some technology. And the technology they armed them with was um, the ability to see what a customer was doing. And not a lot of people use this, but I'm a geek, so I use it. And they, they actually built it into their app so that when you're in a store and you say, hey, I'm... I'm in the Home Depot and I'm looking for garage door openers. That if you type that into their app, it said, oh, you go to aisle 7, bin 17, and you'll find garage door openers. But at the same time, I noticed that somebody would always show up at that time. And they would be notified that somebody was looking for these things, and they made that connection. So they've kind of shifted their model in terms of it looked like they were going to shift completely to you know, an automated checkout process. But then on the back end, they did some really interesting work to enhance their labor force to be more, um, I would say, uh, you know, I would say they, they hire a lot of veterans, they hire a lot of uh, uh, close to retirement workers, uh, and they hire a lot of young people. And those people don't necessarily have all those skills to operate in that environment, but they enhance that labor by those, those technology improvements. I think that relates back to your question. That, that's what popped into my mind when you were asking me those two questions there. So let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's look at the very solutions that are coming up. Of course, this is a phenomena. And yes, it requires the churning engine and somebody building the algorithms and uh, someone understanding that what would be the best way to run a given process for it to be programmed. So this is not a trivial task. Someone has to do it. Let's talk about capability. Are you going to build, buy, rent, lease, or partner? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. 
Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management and Document Sharing Solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjoe Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, built by lease, rent, partner, there has to be some capabilities, what I would call it, to develop the digital labor solutions which you would even plan to adopt in your enterprise. Given the use case, given the specific process you're trying to automate, given what you're going to take away from humans and put into an algorithm, Somebody has to think about it, design it, programming it, and know it's going to be based on best practices and it's going to yield the best results. Who's going to do it? So I think when, when, when I take a look at that from what I'm doing and, and how the industry that I'm in is, is, uh, is emerging or evolving, you have to have a pluggable foundation. Right? And if you don't have that, that's what companies, I think, are scrambling to do now, which is having being able to support the best in breed. In the, in the real estate industry, we're seeing hundreds upon thousands of startups that are all doing very, very small, uh, intricate pieces of the business. So you might have somebody that does the marketing pieces really well, and you might have somebody that does the, um, uh, some type of data tools really well. And, and the, the problem you have is, is that you could, you could have a workforce and, and build a technology company within your organization to support that. Or, uh, conversely, and I think this is where things are heading, is that you can build a, an infrastructure that supports taking those best-in-class pieces and making sure that they all integrate uh, appropriately, either at the platform level or at the um, infrastructure level. And I think that's going to be really key in how this plays out, especially in, again, in real estate, because you want, everybody's different across the country, every real estate agent, every area, every opportunity. So here in New York City, you know, it's a, it's a different animal in terms of how to deal with consumers, and uh, it's a very vertical uh, experience in terms of, uh, you know, the, the process. But in, you know, Missoula, Montana, it's very flat, and, you know, needs are different. So to be able to be that flexible, if you have a, a national presence, you need to be able to, to adopt those things. So um, in order to turn that internally, I mean, that's a lot of uh, workforce that needs to be hands-on in terms of building each use case scenario. Um, we're seeing it where it's better to partner with people that have those best in class, and that's their sole purpose is that functionality it becomes their their whole livelihood in terms of, of providing that. There's nobody that's saying, um, here, I can offer an end-to-end solution. And I think we're seeing that creep in the other industries, too, where there's people doing some pieces that are really good, but the problem becomes is, you know, everything gets, gets pulled out into this hodgepodge of solutions, and the person that's using it becomes, instead of it making them more efficient, it makes them less efficient because now they're accessing multiple pieces. See, the, the challenge with anything new, and especially in technology uh, you know, area, is that vendors in many cases start going into the land grab and market share and the mind share exercise, and that's where the standards don't evolve. Or they would actually claim more than, than they know. And I'm not going to grossly generalize, but it, there have been enough examples. And this is an area where, frankly, no one can claim that they're an expert because it's so new. So who do you start relying on? 
who can come to you and say, okay, we will help you build this digital labor solution and we have these solutions which you can literally blindly put in and and replace your humans with if something goes wrong, there would be a cascading damage, but it'll not happen because we have developed it. Can you are you at a point do you have the confidence to place trust on any vendor or any solution at this juncture? And if not, where would you get started? Yeah, and I, and I think that goes back to the, the test and learn mentality in, internally. Right? I think that there's ways to supplement what other people are doing and, and validate how they're doing it by, you know, within the four walls of business, having, uh, applying those techniques and applying those things, testing them, getting it right, and then launching it out to, you know, your clients or customers. The, um, the, the, the digital labor factor of that is, you know, you, you are, when you partner with somebody else doing it, you, you are placing a certain amount of trust in them, but I believe you can, you can put guardrails on that, again, um, by having a core set of um, infrastructure or a platform that they integrate with, and then you have the, the certain rules around how that integration occurs, can keep those people on the, um, let's say, the user experience side of a solution um, and, and keep them true to what you're trying to accomplish as well as your brand and, and everything else that you put together in, in terms of how you want to be perceived to those uh, end users or customers. And, and so would you say internally, would you think we would have the wherewithal or would we have the funds, the play money, which your boss or, or the, the CFO is going to give to say, guys, go ahead, play with this digital labor. We don't have any internal so-called capability to understand how an algorithm could be written for AI, or are you saying that there are blocks available, building blocks available which you can readily take and play with with, with the non-AI-centric talent that we may have in-house in our standard corporate IT? Well, there's, a, there's a couple schools of thought on that. Um, one that I've taken over the years, and, and I did back when I worked for a, a digital online-only bank, um, was that you didn't need to be necessarily uh, cutting edge or bleeding edge, and you didn't have to be first. But if you were second, you have to do it really, really well. And I think that the, the technology and, and digital um, uh, first uh, organizations are, are really doing that. You know, there's people that come out there and say, hey, we've got this new product and everything, and, and, and that's all great, or a new solution. And, I, and I'm thinking about, like, um, uh, what's very common today, which is remote deposit capture, right? People, instead of going to a bank and waiting in line and depositing a check, they use their smartphone to, de- to deposit that. Um, back when that started, there was one bank that came out with it. And it literally was, you couldn't use your phone, you had to use your computer with a webcam, and you had to hold the check up in front of it and take a picture, and then upload that photo to the bank. Well, the next person that came out with that um, was the ability to do it via the phone, right? So they, used, they, they saw what was happening, and then they took that and said, okay, we're going to make this a lot more uh, user-friendly. So... The second person to come out with it actually made that consumer experience really great because they, they took all those learnings from the first one. And there were two competitors in the market. But I, I think that that's the way companies are still continuing to evolve this, is that they're getting those learning experiences, they're testing them internally, they're seeing what others are doing, and then they're improving them to make the, the user experience better. So... What would, what would be your guidance or, or suggestions to organizations which are just getting started? Should they request play money? Should they find or create sandbox where people who do not have skills, they go for training and or invite some people in? Where would be a good starting point when you, when you start on this so-called adoption journey? Well, I think, I think if I use the analogy of a home, again, since I'm in real estate, you have to have a really good foundation. So you have to make sure that you invest in, the, in those foundational uh, pieces because if you don't and anything you go and try and build on top of that will, will eventually fail. So whether you're building a skyscraper or you're building a conventional home, you need to have a good foundation in the architecture there to be. And that's where I think that companies continue to need to focus on to make sure that they have those pieces. Once you have that, it's then 
you know, you can, you can build the, the frame of a house, but you can now lay it out or change it up. I mean, people remodel all the time. They make their kitchen bigger. So you need to apply those same techniques. Be flexible enough that as the world changes or, or taste change, that you can flex those pieces. And I think going to the CFO and saying, hey, we need some money to do this, it's, it's having a plan that says, okay, our foundational elements can support this. And here's the way we need to shift and, and really strategically think about those things in that manner. So just to share with you data points, because uh, I travel globally to facilitate sessions with the CIOs and other technology leaders. And at many places, when I polled the audience, asking that, hey, where are you with your AI adoption or where are you with these cutting edge automation, etc.? I see very few people raising their hands because they're saying, I'm not sure we are ready for it yet, and plus we've got more than full plate. And they're cringing at the idea of something which is so far out there, dabbling in it because they did not come through the ranks with this so-called, you know, uh, completely brand new blue ocean innovation type of an approach. So while the, the guidance that you have is the right type is to build a business case, but there is an inherent reluctance in the corporate IT to dabble into it because this is so different. What do you say to those people, to those organizations, to those departments? Well, if, if you take a cue from design thinking, you, you need to engage with whoever you're supporting. And whether that's business counterparts or whether that's a consumer, you need to sit down with very basic elements of, you know, what they're seeing and what they're hearing and what they're feeling that's going to be their needs. Not now, not necessarily right this second. And if you're not delivering that, you know, that's a different issue. But you have to see what they're, what they're thinking about and, and the behaviors of what, and what they're dealing with to be able to, to flex that way. Now, if you've got all that, that, those foundational elements covered, you know, you're going to see that you're going to spark more interest and gain more attention and, and be able to fund these projects. Um, it, could, it could be as simple as building an Alexa skill for your company that makes sense to, all the way through to gaining more data insights in uh, whether it's customer behavior or um, uh, you know, uh, where uh, virtual reality and augmented reality is taking us. So you can then flex that way. And I think that some are trepid to do that because they haven't built those people skills in terms of um, the emotional behaviors of people in order to garner those insights. And that's where I think there's a, a divide in IT. Um, there's, a, there's a portion of IT departments that really get that, that human element and, and the emotional intelligence part of it. And then there's the part that continues to play that shadow IT role that just you know, tries to support and keep things coming along as, as the requirements come in. And I think the ones that are, that are building out those digital pieces that do uh, different techniques like design thinking or um, you know, any counterpart of that, that they're seeing that they're able to jump ahead uh, a lot faster because they're, they're building those innovation pipelines for their businesses and being able to support what's coming down the pike. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back and let's talk risk because when we bring automation, when we bring something which could just keep going in and it could have a cascading effect or it doesn't have a human intervention or no one is looking, we are essentially creating more windows for vulnerability. What is being done when we are looking at the digital labor adoption with respect to risk management? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? 
If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Okay, so uh, Jeff, let's talk about the risk with anything else, with digital, not the digital labor, but the very digital transformations people are trying to do and other things which are coming into play. Risk is anyway increasing and we know security vulnerabilities are existing. You're talking about digital labor, everything automated, AI taking control, Imagine somebody intrudes. It could create havoc. How are we preventing it as we are going in this direction? Yeah, with the with the influx of more data, um, you know, you're you're you have a bigger problem that's growing. You know, the the companies the the way that they're evolving, the amount of data that they have has grown exponentially over the years. And now it's how do you. Uh, Keep that data secure, but as well as classify it and ensure that you know that, that it doesn't uh, you know get hacked or or you know get get uh, some type of access to it either internally or externally to cause that risk. And we've seen a number of companies emerging um, that do a really good job of helping you using artificial intelligence and other methods um, when they build these algorithms to to boil that down to you. Um, to be able to articulate what's happening and where things are. And as we see more regulation, you know, the EU adopted GDPR. Um, um, there's, um, there's, there's more focus on being transparent about that, too. So I think that's um, where I would be going is ensure that, you know, you have good controls around the classification of data, the, um, the ability to, to uh, identify critical data versus non-critical data, and then be transparent when you have an issue and how, what you're doing to resolve that. Before, that was a boardroom conversation, and with the advent of GDPR and other regulations that are coming down the, the pike with cybersecurity, uh, New York State has just adopted some new cybersecurity rules, and they focused a lot on that transparency. So that's going to be the, the evolution there, that uh, I think companies are going to have to, again, be flexible to, to ensure that they don't end up in a, in a bad spot. Talk about people, because they are the ones you're displacing, and they're the ones who are saying to go build a foundation. So are you saying, go ahead, dig your own grave? No, uh, definitely, definitely not. It's, um, it's, it's now empowering those people with the proper skills to ensure that they can not only be, you know, have that transparency, but they can help in that, in that cause. Um, there's uh, a huge, I mean, IT, uh, we talked about the huge gap in, in the need for IT knowledge workers. But now we're seeing that the security industry is another huge gap that's up and coming, and there's tons of security jobs. And you can take those people that have had smaller jobs and arm them with the right tools. Again, there's, there's, there's a, a magnitude of these tools that are up and coming that you need to continue to provide to them um, and, and you have them use in order to ensure that your company is secure. So you're, you're going to see a shift that way too. But at the same time, um, you know, we're seeing a lot more of these companies providing um, you know, a, a software as a service in terms of security as a service. And that's another area where you still need people to digest and be able to um, maneuver um, to, um, you know, not everybody's going to be perfect. 
So you're, you're still going to need remediation activities um, to ensure that you stay within that compliance that you've built for yourself. So if we are looking at people and you're enabling them, but then this also has an impact on the business unit leaders. It has impact on the top executives because while on one hand they would look at uh, improving productivity and maybe increasing revenue, but you're also having them rethink or fundamentally rethink how their organization will look like. If they come to the office and they don't see a soul or fewer souls, and would they get the warm and fuzzy feeling that the business is moving faster, given that it's something which they cannot see? No, and I, and I think that comes down to, the, again, the way that IT works with the business. And unless you're driving them to be more a part of their, their, their own destination, um, you're not going to empower them with the knowledge to understand what's actually happening. And I think that um, my take with business leaders that I work with is that they become deputy CIOs. And with that, they're in charge of their destiny. It's my job to make sure that priorities are set correctly amongst the organization and everybody's on the same page. But their job is now to understand not only the fact of what they're trying to build and what they're trying to do to move them in the future in their specific vertical, but also that they understand the ramifications of that and the risks associated with it. Because they don't need to come in and see an office full of people anymore. They need to come in and see how their productivity is or how their, um, you know, their, their processes are and what's executing. And also what things are, are at risk or, or you know, need support uh, or need a little TLC. And by doing that, you're now taking uh, an executive team that usually said, hey, here's something, let's throw it over to Walt IT, that now they're in charge of doing it themselves, and they become much more in tune to what that uh, digital workforce is doing. And I think that's, the real, that's one of the key components of, of a, a successful company nowadays is everybody's an empowered CIO. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thank you so much, Jeff, for taking the time to share your views on how organizations can adopt digital labor. Thank you. Thank you. It was great. Listeners, uh, hope you enjoyed it. Digital labor, the future is here. Uh, Please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Network, CTN, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And do download our podcast from iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, you name it, we are there. Give us some ratings so we are able to reach more people. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.